0: dot com.
1: My guests today include Vancouver-born Don Chapman, who lost his Canadian citizenship when, while he was a child, his father moved south of the border and became a U.S. citizen. Mr. Chapman's identity was rooted in his father's citizenship, regardless of his mother's. After years of fighting to have his Canadian citizenship restored, and for the rights of thousands of other so-called lost Canadians who found themselves jilted by immigration law vagaries, Mr. Chapman won his battle. The government enacted a bill that allowed the majority of lost Canadians to reclaim citizenship, but suffers still from a reluctance to fully enforce the law across many cases. Don Chapman has spent 20 years devoting his life to supporting the bill, and those people still unable to fulfil the dream of returning home to a country where citizenship is denied. Ian Munro was born in Scotland and subsequently retired after some 18 years of honourable service in the Canadian Navy. He learnt shortly after the events of 2001 that he was not eligible for Canadian citizenship despite service to his country and a lifetime spent in Canada. Jackie Scott arrived in Canada in 1948 from Great Britain where she was born. She learnt after a lifetime living in Canada that she was not eligible for citizenship and has been fighting for the Canadian citizenship ever since. Jan Makins lived in Canada for five years, and following a two-week vacation in the United Kingdom, was denied entry on her return. She has since resided in Florida, unable to return to her home and family. The CIC cited that as her grandfather was on her mother's side, citizenship was denied, raising the discrimination argument in the position taken by the Canadian government. They join me by telephone today from locations across Canada and the United States. Welcome today to In Discussion, and I'm joined by Don Chapman, the founder of the Lost Canadians. Also Jackie Scott, Jan Makins, and Ian Munro, all of which are fighting for their right to Canadian citizenship. Don Chapman, welcome to you today. I hope this finds you well. It's just
2: fine, David. Thank you.
1: Don, thank you for bringing Jackie Scott, Jan Makins, and Ian Munro to the program today. I believe that it is a celebration this week, the Canadian Citizens Week. Would you like to tell me a bit about that before we proceed to our special guests?
2: It is. uh, The feeling, though, is that for the lost Canadians, it's hard to really get your uh, spirits up to want to celebrate it because we're still most of us or not most of us but a lot of us are still considered outsiders and so Canada is got a theme of everyone belongs and the spirit of being Canadian and compassion and human rights and what it what it means to be a citizen here but the very people that are putting on the celebration the uh, politicians don't seem to embrace those values.
1: Don, is this not becoming an embarrassment at this stage for the Canadian government, having transitioned from an internal issue to clearly an internationally recognized human rights issue?
2: I would think so. And isn't it, isn't it really sad that Canada is a country that, uh, I mean, if we go back to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it was written by a Canadian from New Brunswick. Uh, you know, back in 19, when I think it was 45, uh, you would think that Canada would be a country that would lead by example. And right now, something has gone very, very wrong in Canada because, uh, no, they they just seem to brush this issue under the table.
1: Don, before we bring on our special guest today, could you, uh, for our listeners, provide us with some background to their cases and also... Uh, Talk about the way in which you came across them and have been able to help them over the years with the citizenship cases that they have themselves had to face.
2: Well, David, I uh, kind of began the Lost Canadians not uh, thinking that uh, it was this huge number of people around the world. I kind of thought I was very unique. I think that that's true. With all the Lost Canadians, we simply thought it was just our problem, and Little did we realize that the Canadian government was putting into judicial review almost one Canadian a day for years and years on end to kick them out of Canada, and it was a huge national issue. So at one point, uh, an article appeared uh, here on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia about me, and very quickly I got several people calling me. I mean, it was four people right away saying, well, you know, I have that problem, and, and it was very strange because, uh, you know, I don't live in a huge uh, metropolis in Canada. And as time went on, more and more people started getting in touch with me. And then uh, we got into the age of the Internet. And uh, they will, you know, Jackie and uh, Ian and uh, Jan will have to tell you how they came across because I get people every week and I get people almost every day calling me. Uh, with their stories, but now it has become something over the Internet. And, you know, one thing I should add, when we talk of human rights, three years ago in September, the United Nations magazine, Refugees, did a special magazine report on the strange hidden world of the stateless. People that were excluded and highlighted center page across this magazine were the lost Canadians. David, yes, I agree with you. Canada should be stepping up to the plate. And and even this week, Canada lost a seat on the UN Security Council. And part of it probably was that they no longer are aspiring to the human rights ideals that they started with back in 1945. And the stories you are about to hear will really shock you. I mean, these are wonderful, productive members of society, Uh, I mean, Ian is retired from the Canadian military, you know, with, with honor. Jackie's father fought for Canada. Jan Macon's grandfather fought for Canada. I mean, these are wonderful people that any country would be proud to say they belong. They're ours. Somehow, Canada has gone astray, or astray, rather, and with Jackie, she can tell her story Better than I can because if I'm gonna if I start telling it, I want to tear up. It, it's just it's just a real shocker.
1: Thank you, Don. We'll turn now to our uh, guest, Jackie Scott. Jackie, welcome to In Discussion today. I know that you have fought the battle of gaining Canadian citizenship, while your father, I understand, fought for Canada.
3: Yes, he did. My mother was an English war bride. Um, I came to Canada at the age of two, and as I've never known anything else as except Canada as my home. The issue with the Canadian government is that my parents weren't able to marry until I was 2 years old. I never knew that until I was a teenager because my generation you didn't share that information with anyone. It was something to be embarrassed about, not like in today's society. But yes, my parents, uh mom and I came when I was 2. Um, We weren't able to come prior to that because I had an illness that was very, very serious and it had to be rectified first. I have not, I have been fighting for my citizenship since 2004. I sent for my citizenship certificate in 2004 and was denied in 2005 based on the fact that my parents weren't married when I was born. And, And
2: Jackie, you really have to mention that's the first time you ever knew that you weren't Canadian.
3: That
1: is correct, Don, very much so. Jackie, I'm correct in saying, then, that you have spent your life in Canada, taken responsibility for uh, tax uh, submittals during that period, and, of course, seeing your father fight for this country. Uh, how do you feel now, after so many years about Canada? Are you as committed to this country as ever? after all of these many issues and many problems that have come across your table?
3: I am still in limbo. Um, I'm told that the current applications I have on file are somewhere between the minister's office and the case processor's office. I have no idea. I've now been waiting again for, oh, since January of this year. Uh, This is my third application. I've been denied twice at this point. I feel like the orphan. It just doesn't make sense that they will be denying me when all my family is Canadian. My daughter is Canadian. My grandchildren are Canadian. I'm the only one that they're not allowing. And it's why I feel like I'm the outsider looking in, and yet this is my home. This is where I feel I belong. And they do not seem to understand. I'm covered by certain acts that have been upheld by the Supreme Court. One of them is the Legitimation Act, uh, which says that if your parents subsequently marry after uh, birth, that my birth is legitimized back to the date of my birth, and yet they don't seem to understand that. I have records that were from 1955 where citizenship and immigration acknowledge that legitimation, yet they're still keeping me
1: in limbo. Uh, Don Chapman, is this case that Jackie has uh, typical of many who may be either uh, stranded abroad or situated in a country such as Canada that is denying them of their citizenship?
2: Well, David, these all emanate from uh, mid-1800s laws that were written by the British, and it went to all the British colonies pretty much everybody's corrected it. I don't know of another country that has uh, that is still with so much uh, limbo and with problems than Canada. And for some reason, they corrected it for a handful. Uh I mean, we're not well, I should, I should reverse that. They corrected it for most lost Canadians, but they left a handful out. And really, that's just not right. Uh you, you don't you don't uh, leave some people behind, like Jackie or Ian or Jan. In essence, what was very big in the mid-1800s it lasted in Canada, um, well, still going on, is this being born in or out of wedlock. You have to realize that back then, way back in the mid-1800s, women were chattel or property of their husbands, and children were chattel or property of their fathers, if born in wedlock or chattel, property of their mothers if born out of wedlock. So Canada is kind of uh, going to people like Jackie and saying, okay, if you were born out of wedlock, you were property of your mother. She was a British war bride. She wasn't Canadian. So therefore, you're not Canadian today.
1: This policy appears to be very decadent in its outlook, more pointed to a position that would have been evident or taken 40 or 50 years ago. How is it that it seems to be held on to uh, even today?
2: That can only be answered by the Prime Minister of Canada and his citizenship minister, who are noticeably absent from all these programs and all the interviews. I don't know. I, I don't know how they could possibly sleep at night knowing that they are causing this kind of pain to people. Because when you deny people... Their right of citizenship, I mean, when you really get down to it, the first thing Hitler did when he uh, came into power was cancel the citizenship of anybody who was Jewish, because if you don't have citizenship, you have no rights. You don't have right for judicial review. You don't have the right for police protection. Uh, you don't have the right to collect a pension or medical coverage. I mean, you're really out there. And that's why the United Nations was so strong in writing that magazine and dedicating it to those sort of things on, on citizenship and statelessness. So the other aspect we're, you know, that's really strange here is that we now have people also being denied citizenship, and these are all pre-1947 births, because they were born in wedlock, such as Guy Valliere, who was... I've mentioned on a previous program, he was born in Canada to a Canadian mother and a U.S. father. Well, Canadian women lost their Canadian status on marriage prior to 1947, so unbeknownst to Guy, he was considered property of his American father. So he had a problem with his medical, uh, uh, you you know, as you do when you're in your 60s, and they denied him medical coverage. And this man had a stroke, uh, and, and they denied him medical coverage. This is a World War II veteran.
1: With that said, Don, can I assume that Jackie does not have access to the Canadian National Health Service?
2: Well, uh, Jackie uh, doesn't have it right now because she's now wintering about six, just about six months out of the year. Uh, She's retired, so she's become a snowbird. So she's down in the States part-time, as lots of Canadians are, and back in Canada. But right now, Jackie, while she has a social insurance number, which supposedly gives you the right to work, they're, they're blocking that. So she can't even work in Canada. And therefore, she wouldn't qualify for medical benefits. And what's really strange is Guy Valier, the World War II soldier, had he been born out of wedlock, he'd be Canadian. And if Jackie was born in wedlock, she'd be Canadian.
1: This would indicate, therefore, that The policies are not only subjective, Don, and convoluted, but now contradictory in these cases?
2: I would say it's contradictory, particularly in that the government does not follow their own laws. Jackie made reference to the orders in council were very specific to the uh, military uh, soldiers of World War II and their dependents giving the dependents and their wives the same status in citizenship as the soldier. On top of that, they're ignoring the Legitimization Act, as Jackie pointed out, that was tested in the Supreme Court of Canada. Jackie is, by all means, a legitimate Canadian citizen. It's just that the government won't recognize her, which makes it even more bizarre when just a month and a bit ago, we had a ship full of Tamil Tigers. Uh, you know, who arrived on the coast of British Columbia claiming refugee status. And one of the women gave birth to a child, and that child is now a Canadian citizen. Yet Jackie can't be Canadian. I mean, Canada's supposed to be a country of fairness and compassion and human rights. And right now I see anything but.
1: Jackie Scott, uh, allow me to ask you. How do you believe that your father, who fought for this nation, feel for you and many others that find themselves in this predicament?
3: He would be very, very angry that, he's, that they're doing this to his child, to his daughter. What right do they have to do that? He went off and volunteered to fight to defend Canada. Why should they refuse me now?
1: When did your father volunteer, Jackie?
3: He volunteered in 1939.
1: And as with many in 1939, he walked into the recruitment office and volunteered immediately.
3: Right. I believe he was sent back on a medical back in in 1945. But, David, my feeling right now is, is the Canadian government waiting for all of us who were born pre-47 for the issue to be resolved by attrition, by our deaths? Am I not going to see my citizenship before I die? It, it just makes me feel that that's what they're looking at. It doesn't make sense that had I been born in 1947, I would be Canadian now. David, the war started in 1939. Don't they recognize that soldiers would have offspring, that children would be born all over, uh, out of the country, overseas?
2: David, again, it, it defies logic. It's, it's kind of the ultimate, if you will, in identity theft. The government came in and took your identity away from you, and everything you ever believed and thought you were, you're not. And yet, all these years, they didn't have any hard time collecting her taxes uh, along the way. And And allowing me to vote. She even voted. And the other thing that I would have to equate it to, David, if you put it in terms of a family and a family unit, and you kick out one of your kids, and that kid isn't even able to come into the house, I mean, it's kind of on the verge of child abuse. That's kind of how I would say it with Canada.
1: Would this action taken by the government considered in many arenas to be illegal?
2: Oh, there's no question. What they're doing with Jackie is totally illegal. She is a legitimate Canadian citizen, but they don't recognize it. So if they don't recognize it, what's the difference? You don't have any benefits or the feeling of belonging. The issue is simply they just morally, they, they just kind of have divorced themselves of it. The the politicians don't seem to really care. Uh, I think, uh, and Jackie, maybe you'd agree with me on this, that lost Canadians, since they don't have any identity, they don't even have the right to vote, technically.
1: Right. But you have indicated, of course, that Jackie is a registered voter in Canada, or certainly was a registered voter. She did
2: because she didn't even know she wasn't Canadian until 2005.
1: Before we move on swiftly to Jan Makins, Jackie, can I ask you uh, the fortitude that you hold now for resolving this and your family's support, your neighbour's support, uh, will you fight this to the bitter end to ensure that you are indeed a Canadian citizen?
3: I will not give up, David. Uh, I want to be recognised... That the Canadian that I am, it's what it's my inner being. You you take something away like that, and you just you feel, as I say, you feel like an orphan. I I will not stop. Something has to be resolved before I die. It just has to come through. I can't see not being in being recognized for the as Canadian.
1: Jan Makins, welcome to In Discussion Today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Following that emotional statement by Jackie Scott, I believe that you resided in Canada for some five years and hold a letter currently from the CIC stating that had your connection in this application process been through your grandfather on your father's side, that you would indeed be applicable for citizenship. Uh, Meanwhile, I also understand that you live in Florida.
4: Actually what happened was um, I went on a two-week holiday to England in June and then I was denied re-entry into Canada despite the fact that I had a 12-month visitor visa and I'd made the same trip with the same document two years earlier with no problem. I was given less rights than a criminal or the Tamil Tiger refugees and Citizenship and Immigration Canada interrogated me for five hours. Um, I wasn't allowed to make a phone call for the first three, and then I was physically escorted onto a plane back to England. I couldn't return to my home, my family, friends, and worst of all, my dog. Um, And I had a legal right to be in Canada and the papers to prove it.
1: Jan, before I return back to you, Don Chapman, it seems difficult to understand why the Port of entry, amongst all the other issues here, would not grant access into the country uh, for this lady, given that she did have a valid twelve month permit
2: that's of course a million dollar question um, I don't know i i can I think Jan had been here. am I correct, Jan? you've been here for five years yes and and the grandfather it was the Jan's mother's father, who had the connection to Canada. Uh, Had it been Jan's father's father, then Jan uh, would be Canadian because the paperwork CIC sent says, you know, we can make the case if it was through your paternal lineage, not your maternal. So this is a case clearly of gender discrimination, which is another issue.
1: Having been well versed over the years, Don, uh, with. Immigration law, both in the United Kingdom and the United states i'm not sure that this uh, grandfather issue uh, this lineage through the father's side would even have any precedence uh, in the system that you would see in the United States and the United Kingdom at this stage
2: no, it doesn't David, because my wife was born in England, and my kids have the right of British citizenship through my through my wife and uh, so it doesn't apply and Interestingly, it, it's not just this issue is not just the pre-47 people like Jan, but uh, there was a court case uh, in the Supreme Court of Canada, and they ruled unanimously that blatant gender discrimination in citizenship law was illegal, and it was a unanimous decision saying that women must have the same rights to pass citizenship as men. And uh, a few years back, the Canadian government, just out of the clear blue, decided to ignore it. And they've gone back to discriminating. So we have people from Jan's age all the way through to I've got two little baby girls. One can be Canadian, one cannot. They're cousins. One comes through the grandfather, one comes through the grandmother. So why they're doing it, I don't know. Jan volunteered. Tell them them what you did in Canada. I mean, you, you didn't have a legal right to work, so you didn't. So you volunteered. Tell them what you did for Canada, Jan.
4: Because I couldn't work, I volunteered at the hospital and, um, and I'm really active and, um, you know, I, I joined this hiking group and, um, canoed and kayaked and I, 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 I thought that I was the type of person who, um, would really fit in in Canada. I mean, I'm, I studied French so that, I mean, I'd learned at school, but I kept it up and went to classes so that I could really immerse myself into, Canadian society. And you have a
2: sister in Canada.
4: Yeah, my, my family are in Canada. I, I, the other family that I have are scattered all over the world, and so it was really the only place for me to, to be, I felt.
1: Jan, I understand that during that visit to Canada that you were placed in detention for some five or six hours. What was the emotional toll on you and your family? And of course, the reaction of those on the aircraft when you had to return back to the United Kingdom?
4: It, it, was, it was really awful, because my sister was absolutely frantic, my friend who was looking after my dog was frantic, and I, I just couldn't make a phone call. And then, um, by the time I, I could, it was too late to call my MP, which is what I you know, wanted to do. And, and then a friend and uh, actually an immigration lawyer friend, they came ra- racing out to the airport to see if they could do anything, but it was all too late, and I was departing on the plane as they arrived. I've never been treated um, in quite that manner before. And, Jan, tell,
2: tell David what the other passengers on the plane heading back to the U.K. when you told the story how they felt.
4: Well, it was really actually the Air Canada staff, because I was um, put on the plane, escorted onto the plane ahead of everyone else, and I mentioned to one of the stewardesses my situation, and she was just absolutely horrified. And so they then treated me royally. They moved me into another seat. Um, she sat and listened to my story, and then I finally broke down, um, they were just kindness itself and you know they bought me i was shivering uncontrollably and they bought me warmer blankets and it was horrible because you know i made the long flight from england and then terribly jet lagged and then they put me on a flight back to england and the the worst part was that um i wasn't able to contact anyone in england to let them know i was coming back so i didn't even know where i was going to go
1: With all that said, Jan, uh, what is the current status of your application? Are you intending to move forward uh, with the citizenship application?
4: Well, um, it's now really up to um, Don and my um, MP's office. Um, They have been trying, but the only problem is that uh, my Member of Parliament is John Baird, who's now the Leader of the House. And um, they're the ones who actually suggested I reapply for citizenship. This was back in was about March of this year. When they had heard when they heard that I joined um, Don's lost Canadians, his office had made it clear that the connection would jeopardise my situation, and they'd even indicated there was a Chapman's list, and obviously I was on it. But to be honest with you, I don't know where I'd be without Don's help, and I find it amazing that canada wouldn't judge me on my own merit instead of on my association with let's face it an activist for human um and women's rights and there have been other people like um jackie and melinda that you know i've got to know and, and there was a wonderful man doug who um managed to find my grandfather's not his birth certificate but his birth record which i really needed so at the moment i'm just waiting on my MP to do something and for Don to have some miracle happen with the lost Canadians. Well a
2: miracle might be your show David, maybe and hopefully this will yeah. do the trick
1: Well I certainly hope so Don That takes us to our next guest Ian Munro uh, born in Scotland uh, now retired after some 18 years of service in the Canadian Navy uh, resided in Nova Scotia for many years, unable to gain your Canadian citizenship, Ian, after the events of 2001. Uh, where are you now in this situation?
5: Well, uh, <clears throat> uh, my father was a uh, Canadian Navy, you know, a soldier. Uh, he was chief petty officer in the Canadian Navy in the war. And he was stationed in Greenock, Scotland. And he met my mother, uh, and uh, she was from Scotland, of course. And I was born in September forty-five. So in uh, June of forty six, my mother and I came to Canada on the Queen Mary, and my father had preceded us. He came on a on a warship. He was here waiting for us when we got here, and um, I wasn't so I wasn't born out of wedlock. Uh, I at least have that on my side, but anyway, um, I I mean I, I lived in Canada. You know, all my life. And when I was 17 in 1963, I joined the Canadian Navy. So uh, I had, you know, Canadian uh, Armed Forces don't need a passport to go anywhere in the world. So I had been all over the world, of course, with the Navy. So I got out of the Navy after 18 years, and I think it was around 1989, I think it was. I was working for a German company as a sales representative, and I had to go to Germany. So, I had to go in to apply for a passport. So, when I went in to apply for the passport, is when I found out that I wasn't a Canadian. I was uh, some kind of something else. I don't know. Anyway, the guy that I spoke to in the uh, passport office in Halifax, a very nice gentleman, I wish I could remember his name. Anyway, he issued me with a temporary passport. That would allow me to go to Germany uh, for the sales meetings and to tour these new factories and all this kind of thing. And when I come back, he said, "When you get back, you apply for your citizenship and uh, you know, passport or whatever." Well, number one, I was utterly shocked to find out it wasn't a Canadian. Completely shocked. So when I came back, I thought about it. Thought about it. I said, "I'm not going to worry about it too much because the only place." My, I ever go to the United States my wife and I go to the United States once in a while we have friends in Maine and uh, I'd go to sales meetings in Montreal and drive through the states on the way back so I didn't worry about it too much well then of course 9-11 happened and I had a friend dying in Maine a very good friend and he was dying in Maine and I couldn't get to see him uh, because I couldn't get a passport to get across the border so then uh, my wife got thinking, uh, listen, you're going to be 65 before too much longer. Uh, Maybe you won't get your old age pension. So I thought, okay, I better get off the the bandwagon and apply. So I went through a friend of mine uh, in Fredericton who had another friend that was in the Department of Immigration, and he got me landed immigrant status. He got that for me. And then he got me permanent resident status. So the permanent resident status covered me as far as my old-age pension goes. And, of course, Canada pension, they have to give it to you anyway because I paid into it. So that was covered. But when I was speaking to him, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, Ian, you have zero chance of ever becoming a Canadian citizen and a little less chance than that of ever getting a passport.
1: And how did you feel about that, Ian, having served your country for so many years?
5: How do you expect a person to feel? You know, it was... uh, It was devastating. That's what it was.
2: I'd have to say also the word betrayal. Yeah, I had
5: that that one in there too, yes.
1: You indicated, Ian, that you were concerned about your old age pension. By then, were you a recipient of or in line for receiving the military pension?
5: No, no. I, I got out of the forces before I was entitled to a pension. I should straighten that out. I didn't retire from the forces. I got out before pension. I got out at eighteen years.
1: And where did you serve whilst you were in the navy?
5: Based mostly, of course, I was at Halifax. I was on many ships. I mean, I was all over the world. You know, I was in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, Europe many times. I uh, went through the Panama Canal. Uh, I was all over the world with the navy. But in in Canada, I was uh, I was stationed in Quebec in. Uh, in Lausanne, and I was in in Sorel, and uh, I was in uh, Montreal, and I also spent a year on the West Coast out at your neck of the woods there in Victoria. I was on course out there. But when I was a child, actually, we lived in Victoria. My father worked for CPR Shipbuilding in uh, Victoria. So my brother was born there. My brother's Canadian. My nephews are Canadian. My wife is Canadian. My three children are Canadian. My three grandchildren
1: are Canadian. And what is your position now, Ian, at the point where the CIC have indicated that they are going to grant you possibly citizenship? That may take many years still to complete. And, of course, on the provision that you will sign a check for them, how do you feel about that? I gave
5: up. I gave up. They won. You know, you say you can't beat City Hall? They won. I gave up. I'm just going to apply for a British passport. I can get that because I have my British, uh, I have my Scottish birth certificate, I have my mother's, my father's, I got their wedding uh, uh, papers, I have everything for the family. So I just, I've just basically given up. Too much, it's, it's too heartbreaking.
1: And taking that position, Ian, will that allow you to stay in Canada?
5: <clears throat> well, I don't think they can kick me out. <laughs> I'll tell you it'll take about eight of them to put me on an airplane because I don't fly.
1: Notwithstanding all these issues, Ian, how do you feel about your country, Canada?
5: I'm Canadian. I am a Canadian. Geez, I've been here since I was nine months old. You know, I'm a Canadian. I turned 65 last month. I've been here all my life. <clears throat> I fly the flag. I, you know... I, I do everything. I I just love this country. <clears throat> but they're really, really hurting me right now.
1: Ian, I shall return to you in a short while. Don Chapman, this story that we have heard from Ian is an emotional one, uh, very heartbreaking, and certainly an embarrassment uh, for the Canadian government.
2: Yes, but they're well aware of it. I mean, I, I've put Ian's story out there uh, they've even mentioned Ian's name on the House of Commons on the floor. And this government, this prime minister, this citizenship minister, they know Ian's story. But, you know, they don't come forward. They don't come to correct it. Uh, and I know if, if if we ask Ian the question what it feels like to see a boatload of illegal uh, refugees coming into Canada, and they are then welcomed and granted citizenship, and here he is, who... Honest to goodness, if you're, if you're in the military, you never know when you're going to be asked to put your life on the line for your country. And then to be told, well, <laughs> thanks, but you're not really one of us.
1: So, Don Chapman, we see here a man who has served his country uh, for some 18 or 19 years. And despite all these obstacles, still dearly loves this country. What do you think the future is now?
2: There's one thing I can't give up on Ian. I can't give up. I will not be satisfied that? that my battle is over until Ian is not only recognized with honor, but somebody along the way, preferably the Prime Minister of Canada, whoever that is at the time, actually looks at a guy like Ian and Jackie and Jan and myself and apologizes and says, I'm sorry. You know, one time when testifying before the Senate of Canada, they asked me, how would you correct this? I said, it's very easy. You know, this could all be done with the stroke of a pen, and it can be. I said I would give the Senate of Canada, the prime minister, and everybody around the same advice as I give my young children. Admit your mistake, correct it, and then go on with life.
0: I
5: have a friend that lives uh, not too far from me. Uh, He's in the same boat I'm in. Except his boat uh, already sank because he doesn't have his he doesn't have his birth certificate. He can't find it. His family is all gone. He's uh, the last left of his family. He doesn't know where any of the records for his family are. I'm lucky in that fact that I have all my records. My my mother was diligent in that that I have all my records. He has none. He doesn't know when he arrived. He doesn't know what ship he arrived on. He has nothing. He's a farmer and and owns a construction company, and he's up against a brick wall. He he doesn't know what to do, and he's not getting his old-age pension.
2: Well, the first thing he can do is join the Chapman's list, as Jan Macon would say, because I won't give up on him.
1: Ian, given Don Chapman's fortitude and his will to succeed in all of these cases, how do you feel now? Will you consider fighting until you have your... Citizenship?
5: You know, 18 months. I'm, I'm 65 years old. In 18 months, you know, I'm not in the greatest of health. You know, I have heart problems. With that. <clears throat> I don't know if I'll be around, but it would certainly be nice to die as a Canadian. I would certainly love that.
2: Well, I'll tell you, you are a I don't Canadian. I would love
5: to die, but, I, but to, as a Canadian, uh, because, well, I'm not British. I'm not Scottish. These have got no accent. I haven't been there since, well, I visited Durham when I was in the Navy, but I haven't lived there since I was nine months old. I'm Canadian. I'm, I just, I, I, I can't express myself enough of how much this hurts. I just can't. And, and the fact that I wrote to the prime minister's office, heard nothing. Wrote to the minister of uh, immigration, heard nothing. Wrote to my local MP. Took almost a year, and I'll have to say the girl that, that my local MP that works in her that works in his office, she was very good. I have to say that she was very good. She was uh, uh, very diligent and attentive, and she seemed honestly concerned about the situation I'm in. But I tell people the situation I'm in, they can't believe it. They just don't believe it.
1: Jackie Scott, having listened to Ian's emotional story. How would you support his case as the many cases that are out there today in this issue?
3: I can second everything that Ian says. I can feel his pain, and he's just reiterated and and stated much of how I feel. It's just as atrocious that we're being treated this way.
1: And will you be fighting to the bitter end to ensure success in gaining Canadian citizenship for yourself?
3: I will. I will. I, I just can't let them get get away with that. You know, I, Ian says he's Canadian. I'm Canadian. I, I'm with him. I was born in England, but I don't know it. This is my home. And I want, just as he says, he wants to die as a Canadian. So do I. I don't want to be, have, be associated with anything else. This is where I, where I
2: belong. To make this really bizarre i 'm the only guy in on this program today that was born in Canada, believe it or not, the laws are so convoluted that had I been born outside of Canada, I actually would have been a Canadian, and so would my children. I was denied because I was born in the country. In other words, we have such convoluted laws, but there 's nobody that you 've interviewed on this program ever uh, with with regards to the laws of Canadians who wouldn 't say the answer is really simple I mean. Did you know that in the United States they had a Canadian-born World War II veteran? And, I mean, he went to the United States as a kid. He fought for the United States. And when they discovered just this summer that he wasn't really an American citizen, they did it almost overnight and granted him citizenship. I had a a guy named Mark Becker. He's a United Airlines pilot. Mark flew uh, as an officer in the Air Force, uh, in the first Gulf War in, what, 1991 or whatever. And it wasn't until the war was over and he was going on R&R did they discover that he wasn't an American and Canada had canceled his citizenship because Mark was born in Canada. So he was a lost Canadian. I mean, this man was stateless. When the United States discovered that they had done this to a military person, it was within days They had gotten him his citizenship. And by the way, Mark Becker is a great-great-grandson of the former Prime Minister Charles Tupper. Uh, It is so appalling that they do this, and particularly affected are the military personnel and the children of the military personnel. And if anybody should be treated with high regards, it's people like Ian and Jackie's father and Jan's grandfather who stood up and Defended our country.
1: Don Chapman, founder of the Lost Canadians, Jackie Scott, Jan Makins, and Ian Munro. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank Thank
5: you very much, David. Very much, David. Thank you very much. much.
1: And for our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at DavidGibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning.
0: in discussion with david gibbons is sponsored in part by bowman global change specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions bowman global change applies real science to real business practices to produce results from designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business bowman global change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.